Hey friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. You know, it seems like every year at this time, I get questions from church leaders like you who are looking for a pastor, a youth pastor, or or maybe another ministry staff role. If you've been in the church world for any amount of time, you know that finding long-term healthy fits for your church is difficult. It's tough, but it's critical to really find the right people to help your church take steps forward. That's why I encourage churches to check out my friends at Chemistry Staffing. Chemistry Staffing is committed to helping churches of all size find long-term healthy fits. In a time when the average pastor stays less than three years or maybe three and a half years, Chemistry is working to help churches like yours find people who will stay for five years or longer. And I'm convinced they can help you do that. Listen, right now, Chemistry's got this great tool just for my listeners. It's a helpful download Uh, to help you in your search process. Go to chemistrystaffing.com forward slash unseminary to get your copy of Chemistry Staffing's resume screening playbook. This is a helpful tool that will literally walk you through how to screen resumes. Super helpful. While you're there, go ahead, sign up for a free 30-minute consultation with the incredible team at Chemistry. They'd love to help churches like yours. Even if you're early in your search process, talk to them. Let's jump in with today's episode. Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in, put us in your earbuds. Today, we've got a great conversation. You know, every week we try to bring you a leader who will both inspire and equip you. And I think today is no exception. We've got Dr. Jonathan Armstrong from Moody Bible. Uh, He's a professor of Bible at uh, Moody Bible, and he lectures on New Testament studies and church history. He's a great leader. And today we're going to talk a little bit about technology and how technology and faith intersect and how our churches really should be looking up over the horizon and thinking about technology. Jonathan, welcome to the show. So glad you're here. Hey, I'm thrilled to be with you, Rich. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah. Why don't you give us a bit of your background? Kind of tell us a little bit of the the, the Dr. Armstrong story. <laughs> well, once upon a time, I was a, uh, a teacher at Oxford University. That's probably the craziest part of my background. In 2007, okay. I was working at Wycliffe Hall, which is a evangelical permanent private hall at the University of Oxford. It's um, It's an Anglican college for training Anglican Mm -hmm. priests. And so once upon a time, I was lecturing at that uh, school as a full member of the theology faculty of the University of Oxford. Um, I got married. I married a beautiful German woman who's now my wife. We returned to the States in 2009. And the next year, I began working at Moody Bible Institute. Did not begin working at their base campus, their, their main campus in Chicago until 2017. Prior to that, I was at their branch campus in 2010 to 2017. And that was a really cool experience, too, because I got to see almost like what a college plant is. We had... Mm. Um, close to 600 students, but we were doing all of this college life and education in rented spaces in churches in Spokane, Washington. So uh, that was a cool experience. And then in 2017, came to the mothership in Chicago. We opened up our virtual reality lab there and, um, and so on. 
Yeah, one of the things I'd I'd love to talk about, it's obviously an area of expertise for you, is really the intersection of technology and faith. And I I think up until, uh, I think the church has always been, at least from my perspective, uh, on the front end of technology, way back to even uh, distributing letters across Roman roads, you know, the earliest kind of technology uh, that has continued throughout the ages. But how do you think about the kind of intersection of technology and faith? How are those working together, uh, you know, kind of at a macro level, like kind of a large picture? How do those two mm-hmm. fit together? And then we're going to get into VR specifically, but let's kind of talk mm-hmm. about technology as a, as a kind of a large concept first, and then we'll n- narrow it down. Well, it's probably impossible, in my opinion, to overstate the importance of how our lives are affected by technology. And what I think I notice is that our youngest generations aren't even aware of of that the fact that it is technology. What you and I mm. call technology is changing the world hugely. Younger people aren't even aware necessarily of of how that's impacting them or or what has even changed. Mm. So there's one author who says that technology is all the stuff that's been invented since I was born (laughs) and that (laughs) our perspectives on what technology is keeps changing. And I think that's true. I'm a, I was born in 1980. So for me, that means that the internet, I was just 10 years old, 11 years old when it came out. I, and I witnessed its growth and reception into culture as a teenager and as a young person. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm very aware of how the internet has changed the world. And really VR is just a, mm-hmm. it's a type of internet technology. Really VR is just a way of interacting with data streams on the internet. So, mm-hmm. so I think what we call technology is just incredibly important in people's lives today. And that means that pastoral care has to em- embrace that reality and learn to respond to that reality. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I've spent a lot of my time um, in the multi-site church movement over the years, and one of the sidebar kind of jokes that I've, as I've coached and consulted with people, is if you trace the cost of a projector, uh, a one, if you check, trace the cost of a 100 ANSI lumens, so it's a way to measure uh, the you know kind of intensity of a projector, you'll see over time that there's an inverse relationship. Basically, the cheaper that projectors became became in the 2000s and then in the 2010s, the more campuses were launched. And as someone who's has kind of saw a multi-site uh, from a driver's seat, there's absolutely a connection between those two. We wouldn't be doing multi-site if it wasn't for, uh, you know, that technology. Now, VR uh, is really still, it feels like one of those things. It's like I, way back, I was like on Second Life and I've been in and out of these kind of environments over the years. It's it feels like it's always just outside of our reach. But what what is? Let's talk about VR generally first. What is VR, and then what is a VR church? How how, how do those two interact <laughs> with each other? So that's a really fair question, and I will I will confess up front, VR. Um, is not a very concrete reality. Uh, now there are <laughs> VR products. And we can speak of specific, you know, expressions of VR technology. But if you cut into it a little bit, you're going to quickly see that this this approach to displaying data and interacting with data that we that we have in internet streams, um, there's a lot of fluidity to it. So, mm-hmm. um, Jerome Lanier, he's often cited as one of the godfathers of VR. He was doing like a tech talks way back in the 1980s in San Francisco, you know, the Bay Area to the technology crowd, t- talking about this technology that would eventually emerge. He wrote a big, 
a book called The Dawn of the New Everything, chronicling that journey. And he, in his book, gives us 53 different different definitions of what VR technology is. Now, Mm. probably no one in the world understands VR technology as well as Jerome Lanier does, and he will not commit to anything tighter than 53 different definitions. Okay. So, but what we can say is that the current products that you can buy on the shelves today that are VR, it's going to be a set of goggles, kind of like a scuba mask. You're going to have two different images being projected into the lenses of those masks. So you're going to have stereoscopic vision and your body motions will be tracked such that your motions in real life will be translated into the digital reality. So -hmm. you can manipulate, interact and experience data in real space. That's Mm. the closest I can do at the moment. A virtual church could be one of two things. It might be a church that meets wholly on one of these virtual reality platforms like Altspace VR or like uh, Facebook is creating a VR world, kind of like the Mm -hmm. Matrix, kind of like Ready Player One's world. They're building that. You could meet in those environments as a congregation. That's one expression of virtual church. Or I think it's probably fair just to say virtual church is like virtual hospital. It's like virtual school. It's probably any way that you convene as a community using online technology. And that may or may not be the goggles experience. Right. So when you think about thinking specifically about kind of the goggles experience, sticking with that first, um, how many churches are doing, it's like, I'm, it's like, I didn't even know, necessarily know how to a- ask this question. Is it like, how many churches are doing a campus of that's VR or is it, are churches p- being planted specifically as a kind of goggle based, uh, um, you know, v- VR church experience? Like I'm familiar with DJ Soto and what they've been doing at VR church. Uh, what's the scale of this today? So if we mean how many churches Um, whole communities use virtual reality platforms exclusively for their communication platforms, probably very few. And DJ Soto is going to be the obvious example of that movement. I think there probably are a handful of others, but it's going to be a tiny movement. If we expand that to say how many congregations are using uh, these wholly immersive environments for ministry purposes, well, then the numbers start to grow. And if we speak of virtual church like we mean virtual hospital visits, then we're we're talking about fifty percent of the congregations on planet Earth now. Yes, yes. Well, particularly in the last year, if you if you pull that lens out far enough, right? It's it's amazing how quickly um, with this you know technology has just become a part of the way we care for people. Although it, it it seemed to be like we started doing church online as a church in two thousand nine, and so have been kind of experimenting in this area, and it has continued to accelerate. We've invested more time, effort, and energy over the years in this area. When we think about the kind of heads up, you know. VR experience. Do you think the future looks like, um, you know, churches offering that kind of fully immersive experience as, as like a campus of their church, like in the same way that we think about multi-sites already stick with that example so much, but is, is, do you think that's where this thing might be headed? Sort of. So, um, I do think that significant numbers of people will use virtual reality as a way to congregate. So mm-hmm. in 2020, with the COVID pandemic, of course, Zoom was the, the medium of choice. And virtual reality was just a little too green. It wasn't ripe enough to really work well enough for people. I expect that that to transition within the next two to five years. Um, okay, uh, wow. So the, the headsets that are available now as consumer products, they're getting simple enough to use, good enough experiences, and really um, usable enough software. 
Right. I think we're pretty close to a tipping point where an immersive experience will will have as many advantages as disadvantages as meeting on Zoom, and I think that's going to start happening in the next two to five years. The problem well, so what, is what? Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, when you do that, though, it because you have detached that experience entirely from geography. It's not really a campus community you're gathering anymore. It's something else entirely. You're going to get, you know, people from 10 different countries coming to this experience. So it's fundamentally other than a campus plant model. Right, that makes sense. So what would be some of the benefits to using, you know, sticking with the 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 tighter definition of kind of the heads up VR technology for for churches? What would be kind of the reason why we should be thinking about adding this to our 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 ministry mix in the coming years? Mm-hmm. So, um, here I might get a little spacey on you. Okay. So when sure, you sure. put on the goggles and you start exploring those worlds, um, there, there is a whole panoply of different sights and sounds and things that you can put into experiences. So the first thing that most people start noting when they are in these experiences is, um, how abstract art can be such a powerful emotional experience. Mm. Um, people who have had experience, you know, with the psychedelic movement, they'll sometimes make references to, um, you know, uh, experiences they had back at Woodstock or, you know, right. uh, so <laughs> sure. it can be extremely, um, extremely abstract. It's a new media right. form. So like Chris Milk, who's a, who's, um, a cinematographer who's entered into the VR space and he made some pioneering pieces of VR cinematography when the, when the thing was just a baby. I mean, this was 2015. He created one experience that opens up. You're sitting in the middle of a lake. Okay. And you can look in all directions and you're in this be- beautiful mountain lake. And the first mm-hmm. thing you sort of become aware of is, oh my goodness, I'm just floating on water. And then off in the distance, you see like the smoke coming out of the woods and you, you follow a locomotive passing through the woods at this mountain lake. And then suddenly the locomotive me- veers in its course and starts coming directly across the water to you. And you start to realize, my goodness, this locomotive, which must weigh, you know, 50, 100, 200 tons is just floating on the water towards me. And then it comes right up to you and hits you. Boom. But it turns into this, uh, this sea of birds that starts. Sw- okay. So you get the idea. Yeah, there super are, you, yeah. you can do anything in this medium. Right. So what Zoom does really well is kind of boardroom table discussions. You could hold those in VR, but there's a million and one other things too that you could do in VR. So, uh, so it, let me just say there is so much creative potential in the medium that if our only goal is to reproduce traditional life, we're going to be twiddling our thumbs a little bit, okay? Mm. But if we can get out of the mindset, actually the church exists for more purpose than just to fill up pews on a Sunday, turn everybody's head towards the front, have an auditorium where the pastor can be heard by everybody. If those are our only goals in conducting church, then VR may or may not be attractive to us. But if we can get outside of that thinking of that that box— and think, okay, so if I'm trying to communicate Christian truth, oh my goodness, and I've got this toolkit that can do anything like that, that starts yeah, to stir yeah. imagination. Well, I love I was gonna say I love that because um, you know, throughout the ages, uh art has been used to to communicate truth at a deeper level than just 
than what words seem to be able to do, right? There is this kind of transcendent truth that there's a long, rich history in the Christian church of using, whether it's, you know, soaring architecture or amazing stained glass or, um, you know, incredible paintings that have uh, strived to communicate a different uh, a different message than just, or a deeper message maybe. So I love that idea of like, hey, maybe VR is an opportunity for that. Why is it that our friends at Facebook, so again, as a, mm-hmm. I, I definitely am not like a huge VR guy. I'm, I'm probably your, um, and uh, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily innovator. I might be an early adopter. So I've dabbled a little bit in this space, uh, but I'm aware that our friends at Facebook are are really investing heavily in this area and are seeing this the future of their platform really heading in this direction. What what is that connection? For, is it obviously? I'm thinking at some level they must see a social connection that there's some sort of way to uh, connect with people that they see some potential in. What's your sense on why Zuckerberg uh, is interested so much in this? Well, I think that Zuckerberg correctly perceives that this is the most powerful communication medium that humankind has ever invented. So, and um, if I can use the language, when I was teaching out in Spokane, I I got to know a a philosopher of technology. Tim Clancy is the man's name. He's a Jesuit teaching at Gonzaga University. We had a number of sort of coffee time conversations about VR. He's been studying the the influence of technology on on religion for several decades. Mm -hmm. His language to me was, this is civilization 2.0. Okay, so civilization arises with the with the advent of writing. We're looking at something not just the advent of the printing press, you know, that makes writing distribu- distributed. We're actually looking at something as fundamental that will change humanity as fundamentally as the history of writing. Because what's happening now is we can track the physical world and map over any kind of data or experience or notations on onto mm-hmm. it. So so mm-hmm. we're talking about a really huge shift in media. That's fascinating. Well, when you think about uh, VR as a discipleship tool or as a, a way to communicate Christian truth or, you know, something that we would want to use as church leaders, what would you say some of the pitfalls, the things, the potholes, the areas where, ooh, there's this, some things we should be thinking about uh, from a an early scout on the horizon. What are you seeing? Like, oh, here's some stuff we should be worried about. We should be thinking clearly on as we as we kind of step into this more VR enabled world. So, I think the first mistake that we should try to avoid is the assumption that um, VR will be a tool to translate everything that we do in a traditional church service effectively into VR. And that's as a, as I have had some limited opportunity to speak to church leaders. That's or educators. I'm from an educational community. That's sort of the the standing assumption. Oh, VR will allow us to replicate our current productions. And that's, that's a pitfall. VR can replicate our current productions, but it will create, um, that's not, that's not playing to the medium strengths. So Mm. let me, if I can touch on a, um, a principle here that I received from a book called, uh, experience on demand. This was while I was doing the research stage. It was a book by Jeremy Balinson, who's a professor of communication at Stanford university. And he was the founding, uh, professor of Stanford's, uh, VR lab. They call it the, Mm. the virtual human interaction lab. So, and Balinson says, whenever you have a new media type, the the mistake that the producers make is that they continue to run the old shows in the new yes. medium. Right. So, for example, when film comes out in the 1920s, what do all the producers do? Well, they start showing vaudeville. vaudeville. Exactly. 
yeah, vaudeville shows because that's what they knew. And 2020 has been a playbook of that same fiasco. So what do we do when we start live streaming our church services? We just live stream the regular church service because yes. you know, apparently we don't know what else to do. That's the, that's the first mistake to avoid with VR. Um, yeah, I love that. So I, I love that because, I, and I think that's a good push for us. I've said in other contexts about Church Online, I keep saying um, Church Online is asking the right questions, but I don't know that it's found the answer yet. It doesn't feel resident to the medium, it does, and that's just standard internet, you know, across a, you know, on a phone or on a a tablet, let alone exactly. VR going to this whole other level. It's like we're just replicating. Uh, the example I use is the. Um, you know, Christian television from the 80s, so much of it was radio preachers just literally sitting at a desk in front of, you know, a TV camera. Um, and the same thing, it has that same kind of feel. Um, do you have any sense of what that could look like maybe on the possibility side? Like, what should we be thinking differently? How do we uh, leverage VR uh, in new and creative ways that do feel more resident to the technology? Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of encouraging young people to explore pretty broadly. And so with my students at Moody Bible Institute, I'm just waving that flag. Hey, we're up against a really huge transition in the church. We need all the creative theologians we can get. We need a lot of people who are willing to make mistakes. You know, uh, the tech community takes this principle of fail fast. And I think we mm-hmm. need to start failing in the church. We need to start failing in evangelism. We need to start failing in sermon preparation. We need to start failing faster to, to mm. innovate, to innovate mm. properly. But some mm. of the things that I do see is, you know, the low hanging fruit will be Bible storytelling. So I was talking for the book project, I was talking to the head of the Jesus film down in Orlando, Florida, associated with Campus Crusade for Christ, formerly now crew. And so um, Irv is the man's name who runs that department. And he was saying, boy, what I'd love to do in VR is tell the story of Jesus healing the demoniac. And, mm. you know, you get off the boat with mm. Jesus and you you walk up those cliffs and you see the pigs in the distance. And then this demoniac comes out and, whoa, you know, Jesus heals him with compassion. You witness that. That would be amazing. Or, um, you know, imagine your your pastor is doing a sermon on the Pauline epistles. And those are the epistles or the, uh, the, the prison epistles, you know, Ephesians, for example. So Paul is behind bars in Rome while he's delivering those letters. Well, your pastor could put himself in a Paul avatar and, mm. and run that, you know, preach to you as Paul. I think, I think other low hanging fruit will be what we used to call community theater. So mm. people come to church dressed up as different prepared to to role play they're they're going to enact as a community a story from scripture or a play that's going to be rock and roll so your christmas pageant oh my goodness vr was built for that (laughs) interesting i love that and i I love that push you know 65 percent of all people are visual learners and and just pushing people to think you know way more visual rather than the the medium of standing and talking at people i love that idea of getting us to hey maybe we we're, we're more about crafting an environment and crafting um you know uh, like you say uh, costumes and and you know everything we're experiencing that's so cool love that yeah. and and i if i could say this so i'm speaking as an evangelical maybe speaking to evangelical pastors we're also going to have to get over our iconoclasm a little bit so the reformation mm. tradition is a tradition that has sternly steered away from imagery 
right. for the purpose of getting our ears tuned to the word. And I'm, I believe in the Reformation pr- priority of sola scriptura, but we've been shy of imagery in a way that will not help us this next chapter. So we need to understand the power of images, be honest about the way we already use images all over, and figure out, figure out a good theology of, of crafting God-glorifying images. Yeah, isn't that interesting? We live in a what I would call a post-literate world. It's not that people can't read, is that they don't. And so the uh, in some ways I think we have to return back to what what the church was doing in a pre-literate world, which is uh imagery um you know, I think your your uh challenge or thinking around, you know, icons is an, is an interesting one for us to wrestle with because I think our in a pre-literate culture there was a bunch that we were doing there that we probably have to get back to uh because of the way people's brains have continued to develop and and the way we've communicated. Well, so at a very deep level, Rich, I think you're you're putting your finger on the basic problem right now, which is that our religious forms, and again, I'm speaking mm-hmm. as, a, as a Bible first, gospel yes. preaching, evangelical. So yeah. that community has, has carried f- with it theological priorities from the Reformation, which now need to be translated into this post-literate society. So mm-hmm. our, our church life is built for the highly literate you know, Bible reading and studying person of the 1700s. And so we need to carry that tradition into a world that's been influenced by radio, by TV, by internet. And I think that's fundamentally part of the reason why many of our churches are struggling to connect religiously to the mm. to people today, because mm. we're offering something that either they they can't understand or don't have the tools to participate in. Fascinating. Well, you've actually written a book that I want you to tell us a little bit about. It's called Virtual Reality Church Pitfalls and Possibilities. And then I love this because as an author, you've got like the longest, you know, uh, subtitle or how to think biblically about church in your pajamas, PRP or VR, VR baptisms, Jesus avatars, and whatever else is coming. Uh, Tell us about this book. Why did you, obviously, this is the kind of stuff we've been talking about today. Uh, what got you to the point where you're like, hey, we need to get this into paper? Uh, what led you to write write this book? Superb. Yeah, so it was a passion project. I got, um, I was thrilled to be able to have Daryl Bach as a co-author on the pro- project. He's from Dallas Theological Seminary and, mm-hmm. and works in their cultural interpretation piece down, down in Dallas. So I was thrilled to do the book. We had it contracted in 2008 prior to, of course, the, the COVID outbreak. And at that time, I was running the VR lab at Moody Bible Institute. Um, that was a space where we were really doing a lot of what I thought was lateral creative thinking about how to apply VR technology to educational processes. Mm-hmm. So that's that was my day job. I was working in that space, working with groups of students to try to design you know, educational experiences in VR. And I was like, man, what needs to happen is uh, I, I came to realize that this, this revolution uh, it was not just going to affect educational communities. Five years ago, I thought that was just going to affect educational communities. And then I, I came to realize a couple years ago, no, this is going to be a wave that completely revolutionizes church life too. So, and I met Daryl Bach at a conference in 2016. It, we were working on some side projects about how to extend uh, seminary education beyond the, the four walls of a classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I had, we picked up the conversation. He, he said he'd work with me on the project and we inked a deal in 2018. Hmm, so cool. 
Love it. And you know, when you think about this book, who are, who we really had in mind as the as the reader, church leaders, or you know, kind of general folks in the church. What, what were you thinking about? When, who would be great to kind of pick this up? Church leaders and educators, and it's at such an early, I, I believe we're on the beginning of a very long technological curve. I think this is a technology that's going to keep becoming more prominent in our society, possibly for decades. So a lot of it is trying to get our minds around what the technology can do and can't do. I approached mm. this study, and this is where Daryl Bach was just fabulous to have on the project. He's got four decades of experience as a, as a classroom educator. He's been on the board at Wheaton College for a number of years to worked with Christianity Today and has a, has a long bio of understanding evangelical institutions. So I needed a senior level, a senior leader to come alongside me and say, okay, these are some of the things where there might be real use cases for this technology that I was exploring in a lab environment. Mm-hmm. So we worked together and, um, and I was just thrilled to see um, us produce a list of principles. So in the right. book, I take mm-hmm. the analogy of just like a train uh, mm-hmm. revolutionized the world in the 19th century, but in fact, un- it, it's set on a very specific set of tracks. Okay. So just mm-hmm. like a train can do so much in some mm-hmm. ways, but is completely limited in other ways. VR technology is no exception. There are ways mm-hmm. that it is just amazingly opened. But there are also really concrete ways that the, the medium is limited. So we we charted all of that out and in order to try to devise what would be the most useful test cases for, for church communities. Love it. So would your recommendation to a church leader who's listening in to say, okay, like maybe they uh, – they see themselves as like, hey, they, they want to be a part of kind of the leading edge here. They maybe have had some experience. What would be some of those first steps that you would suggest uh, church leaders take to actually explore VR as a potential tool uh, in the tool belt of, you know, all the different things they could be doing as a, as a church leader? What would be some of those first steps be? Obviously, first one, buy the book. Uh, then <laughs> next step after that, what would that be? Awesome. So three years ago, I would have advocated setting up a VR lab. Now that's not necessary because VR has become such a consumer product. You can go and get the latest and greatest headset for a couple hundred dollars at Walmart. So, so, um, and I, I cite that just to note how fast things are moving, how much has changed just in say 36 months. I, what I, I would advocate doing what I personally do, which is having it, access to VR, either you own it or have a friend who owns it and get in there maybe once a month and just peek around and see what they're doing. And I would, I would particularly pay attention to social platforms because those are going to be the the low hanging fruit for church communities. It was just a couple days ago that um, Rec Room, which is an app on, on this platform was valued at one point Two five billion dollars. That's the first time that a VR company has been uh, set as a unicorn. Mm-hmm. So th- these social platforms are starting to become big deals. Facebook has not released theirs yet. You can get access to it in a beta form, but it's not publicly accessible. I anticipate within twelve or eighteen months they certainly will, and that's really what I would. You know, every month peek in there, experience what it's like to socialize in that environment. And just start to think about how your church could um, could build communities, construct educational experiences, and begin to witness to people in that environment. 
So good. Love it. Well, if people want to pick up a copy or 10 of your book, I I really do think the thing I was struck by when I was checking it out is I do think this could be a great book for like a leadership circle. Maybe like you've got some either young leaders or some folks in your church, maybe it's your elder board or, um, you know, that group of five staff who always seem to be thinking about the future. I think this could be a great book to say, hey, let's read this and then come back together a month from now and uh, and process it together and talk it through. Uh, So where can people pick up uh, copies? Where do we want to send them to make sure they can pick up a copy or two of these uh, books? Super. So Walmart carries it. I think Target carries it. Uh, Amazon carries it. If there's a Christian bookstore in your neighborhood, I hope they carry it too. Nice. Great stuff. Well, I've really appreciated you being on on the show today, opening us up a little bit and thinking about VR and, and the potential impact it could have uh, in the future. Uh, it, where do we want to send people if they want to track with you, kind of stay connected with what you're up to these days? Super. Yes. So, um, Rich, you may not know that um, this is actually my last month or two of employment at Moody Bible Institute. I'm okay, great. Tra- traveling over to Germany. I'll be working at a foundation there, an evangelical foundation in Marburg. So, um, so you will find me at Moody for a few more months, or you can find me permanently at Aqueduct mm-hmm. Project. And there we continue to explore online education, free online classes, and trying to build Bible museum type stuff. Uh, would love to connect with people there. Great. Thanks so much, Jonathan. I appreciate you being here today. Thanks for taking time to be with us. I was delighted to be on your show. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.